Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Well, we're in Romans 4. Yeah, moving right along, Romans 4, cooking right along. Yeah. I, was gonna, I, I sent a text out today, uh, this week saying that MacArthur took 39 weeks to get to where we were. I only took 20. So I'll have to slow down a little bit here. Yeah, instead of tonight, maybe I should slow down. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but um, we're in... Romans chapter 4 today, and um, this, is a, this is more of an important part of Paul's argument, because he's writing to Jewish people, <clears throat> all of whom think that somehow God owes them one. And of course, you know, we have people today that think that God owes us one, because of what we do, because we went to church, because we're baptized, because of you name it, God owes us. And he's got to deal with that. He, he does it by saying this justification, this declaration of righteousness, how do you get it? You get it by faith. And the average Jew say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, what about Abraham? What did he do? And Paul says, well, he was justified before he did anything. All right? And he's got to prove that because Jewish People, when they were born, they were taught salvation is by what you do. It's by virtue of your heritage. It's by virtue of your right of circumcision. If you're male, it's by what you do that gets you in. And it's not by belief. It's by your actions. And therefore, your salvation is something of wages, not of grace. And that's one of the things that Paul talked about last week. If you're saved by works, you, it can't be by grace. If you're saved by grace, it cannot be by works. These are completely mutually exclusive concepts. It's one or the other, not both. It's not a, both and, it's an either or. Okay? And so what he does in Romans chapter 4 is he starts to develop this by looking at Abraham and David. Abraham was justified by faith, not by what he did. David said, Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute sin. And of course, that goes back to the whole Bathsheba incident. And under the Old Testament law, there was no sacrifice for adultery. The sacrifice was you died. And yet, why did God not kill David? Why did he not exact it? And David is talking about the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord does not impute. What does impute mean? To credit to an account. God did not credit David's sin to him. Who did God credit it to? To Christ. That's the argument of Romans 3. He did not credit it to David. He credited it to Christ because God knew in his omniscience and plan that someday that would be cleared. So he passed over. Remember we talked about the he passed over those sins. He forbore them to put up with. And then he says in verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised, this blessing of righteousness. Is it for the circumcised only or for the uncircumcised as well? Because what would the Jews say? It's only for the circumcised. It's only for us. It's not for the Gentile. So Paul says, okay, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Was it counted to him before or after he was circumcised? All right. If you go back to Genesis, in fact, let's do that. Let's go back to Genesis. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 11. Go to the end of chapter 11. Genesis is the only authoritative account we have of the pre-flood world. And it gives us the lineage of humanity back to creation. 
And in verse 27, the focus starts to come in on, on Abraham. We're starting to get a focusing in on Abraham. Okay? Now these are the generations of Terah, who fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Okay? So this is the generation. And if you remember back in Genesis, this is what's called a toledote. A toledote. T-O-L-E-D-O-T. And you know a toledote, and these are the generations of. And some have suggested that this toledote was from an oral society. This is what they would memorize. These are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of you know, the world. This is the generations of Noah. Now this is the generations of Abraham. And by the way, in an oral society, you pass the information on how? And, exactly. The liberals would have you say, well, they, they morphed it over time. You know, the story changed. They embellished it. And, no, in an oral society, you don't do that. That's not the way it works. And it's possible that there were, these records were written down. You know, there's no reason to say they weren't. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Okay? Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldees. All right? So where was Abraham originally from? Ur of the Chaldeans. Where's that at? Yeah, way over. That's west, that's eastern Iraq. All right? It's a long ways from the promised land. Okay? And so what happened, Abraham, and it says, and Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarah, the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So they were in Haran, understand that, Terah, Abraham, the family. And Terah says, let's go to Canaan. But partway there, they, did, they stopped and settled in Haran, which is in between. And they stayed there, says, until Haran died, or Terah died in Haran. And it says Terah was 205 years old when he died. Okay? And um, if you read this, he, it said he left for Haran when he was about 70, Terah did. He died when he was 205, so how long was he living in Haran? 130 Five years, right? And during that 135 years, Abraham was born. All right? And then we pick up in chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, so when did God speak to Abraham? After what? Right. Why? Is that the reason you think? What kind of society is this? Patriarchal society. So in the patriarchal society, who's the head of the family? Until when? Until he dies. He's the head. All right. So evidently, chapter 12 picks up when Terah died in Haran. Abraham was in Iran. Lot was with him. Why was Lot with him? Because Lot's dad had died, and Lot went with the clan, Terah, his clan, with him to Haran. Now, evidently, the other Nahor, where did he, or the Nahor, where did he stay? He's still back in Ur, right? Because later on, what does Abraham do? Who does he send? To, who does he send back to the homeland? Eleazar, why? For a wife, for his son Isaac. Okay, this is a, this is a you got to go back and understand this is a, a patriarchal clan society. 
And you see that again in, in the story of Joseph. Remember, jo uh, Joseph says, uh, I want you to go and bring Benjamin back or you don't get any more food. They go back and talk to their father, Jacob, and they want to send the boy, the boy with them. Now, when I was growing up reading that story, I'm thinking Benjamin's 12, 13 years old. Benjamin was 40 years old. He was not a boy. He was probably in his 40s. Reuben was probably in his 70s. But they had to ask their father permission to do what? Why? It's a patriarchal society. They wouldn't do that without their father's permission. We think that's bizarre, but that look, that's, that's, the, that's that way it was. All right? It was a patriarchal society. So the father was the head of the family. So even though Reuben is 70, probably in his 70s, he has to ask his father permission to take his 40-year-old brother back to Egypt. Joseph was 40 when he became prime minister. He's 39 or 40 years old when he became prime minister. All right? So Benjamin was probably 35 to 40 years old because he was not too far behind Joseph. Yeah. So Reuben looks, when he was 75, he looked more like he was probably 40 yeah. to us. But the point is, even in that society, the father was still the head of the family. Okay? So the Lord appears to Abraham and says, I want you to go out from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make a great nation of you. So this is the calling of Abraham to go all the way to where? Canaan. Now, Terah started the journey. We don't know why, but he did. But he didn't go all the way there. He stopped in Haran. Then Abraham, after his father died, God apparently appeared to Abraham and said, I want you to go all the way to Canaan. He said, I'll make a great nation of you. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was seven, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So how old was Terah when Abraham, Abram was born? 205 minus 75 is 130. Okay, So Abraham, apparently, if I read this, just surface reading, he was born in Haran. Okay? But his homeland was Ur, the Chaldees. But he was born in Haran. When he was 75, God appeared to him and said, I want you to go to Canaan. So he did. All right? <coughs> Ur is in Iraq. Haran is partway in between. Okay? So he goes off to Canaan. All right? And then we have the account there. There's some historical account of Abraham going to Canaan, settling there. Then there was a famine. He went down to Egypt. We have the Egypt Pharaoh incident. He comes back. Okay? Um, but if you look at the Genesis chapter 15 here, by the way, in chapter 14, we have the blessing of Melchizedek on Abraham. What happened? Well, there were five kings that, five kings versus four kings. Remember, Lot was taken in a raid. They're taken back to be slaves, and, and Abraham took his servants and went after him and de defeated the army. And you think, how did he defeat an army? He had about 318 servants of his. How did he defeat an army? Well, you've got to think about what is an army in those days. Okay? When you think of the king of Sodom, what are you thinking of? When I say king of Sodom, what do you think, what do you think of? Huh? He's like the mayor of a small little dinko town is what he is. He's not like a king of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He's basically the mayor of a little town. All right? Guy graduated with is mayor of Kipton. If we, if we were back in Abraham's time, he'd be called the king of Kipton. All right? It's got 200 people in Kipton, and he's the king. There's not that many. All right? So you got five kings of little dinko towns, the best they come up with an army is a couple hundred guys, maybe. You're not talking about thousands and thousands and ten thousands of people. You're talking small. 
But on the way back, Abraham stops by Jerusalem, and what happens? Melchizedek comes out and blesses him. And we don't want to get into who Melchizedek is. Nobody knows. Yeah, there's speculation on him. He was the high priest of, Mal of Salem. He was king of the most high, uh, priest of the Most High God, king of Salem. That's it. That's all we know. Some said he was Shem. I don't think he was Shem. Some say he was Christ. I don't think he was Christ. He's a prototype of Christ. That's what he is. And when, when Hebrew says we, he has no beginning and no end, all it's saying is we have no record of who his parents were, and we have no record of when he died in the Scripture. But he was a high priest. And he blessed Abraham. Axiomatically, does the greater bless the lesser, or the lesser the greater? Greater the lesser. If you go to Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is making this comment that Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. And the order of Melchizedek is greater than the order of Aaron because Melchizedek blessed Abraham when Levi was still in his loins and not even existing. Christ could not have been a priest after the order of Levi. Why? Because he had to be the king. Where did the kings come from? Judah, not Levi. So he owes a priesthood, but it was a valid priesthood. It was a priesthood superior to that of the priesthood of Aaron. That's all. And that's all in chapter 14 there. But in chapter 15, after these things, after these events, the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, I'm your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I don't have an heir. Now, an heir in those days was really big stuff. Way bigger than it is today. It was the end of the family line. It, I mean, it was, and and it was the duty of the husband, the man, to have an heir. It was the duty of the wife to bear a son, so that they could have an heir to pass the family name on to. And Sarah was barren, which meant what? In those days, huh? Yeah, she was cursed by the gods. That's what everybody would say. If you can't have kids, you're cursed by the gods. And Abraham says, I don't have an heir. Yeah. Well, Abraham had children after Sarah died, remember? Well, we, we just know that he had them. We don't know who they are. But there were other children after Sarah. Huh? Yeah, there's, there's some after that. But God says to Abraham, no, this man will not be your heir. It doesn't go to Eliezer. It's going to go to your own son. And what did God do? God brought him outside. So when you look towards the heaven, can you count the stars? He said, so shall your seed be. This is the important verse here. And he believed the Lord and was counted to him for righteousness. And God said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. All right now, I need to make a point here. There, there's a branch of theology called covenant theology, which basically says there is no issue with Israel and the land. They, they gave up their land. Don't worry about the land. There is no future for Israel. Explain that to me when I look at this verse. And they say, yeah, but, Hebrew says, Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God, therefore he wasn't looking for a physical land. Then why in the world did God drag him a thousand miles across the desert to a hunk of real estate? That makes no sense. And later on, God's going to take him up on a mountain. So I want you to look east, west, north, and south. I'm giving you all this land. Now, what's Abraham looking at? Heaven? It's crazy. Land, 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 land. 
I had a uh, class with Dr. John Walvoord when I was getting my degree, and he's the, like the granddaddy of prophecy. And he did a whole class on the land promise. He said, you can't get away from the land promise. They were given a land, 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 boundaries from here to there, from there to there. This is not heaven, folks. It's, it's a physical piece of real estate that they were given. You can't get around that. And he said, oh, Lord, how, am I, how do I know that I'm going to possess it? And then we have the account of the animals. That Remember, he cut the animals in two, and, yeah. and God himself went through the middle. Why? Because God was making a covenant with who? <clears throat> himself. Now, did God have to do that? God's word's good enough, right? But what's he trying to do to Abraham? Sure. Yeah, he's helping Abraham out. He's given Abraham a visible... And Abraham knew, wait a minute, I didn't walk through the animals, which means this covenant is not depending on me pulling it off. It depends on God pulling it off. It's not me. We, we do. I mean, come on. All of us do. Yeah. Well, remember, he didn't have the Old Testament. As far as I know, as far as we can tell, this is the second time God showed up to him. You know, God didn't show up to him every other day, you know, and talk to him. And it says here um, in Genesis 16, 16, well, it, 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 God makes his promise. And then in chapter 16, we have the whole Hagar account. And again, why, what's the whole Hagar deal? I thought Abraham was a man of faith. Well, he was. But what was Abraham and Sarah trying to do? Help God. Don't help God. Do not help God. He doesn't need your help. By the way, that was a perfectly legal thing for Sarah to do. In those days, she, if she was barren, she could designate somebody to bear a child in her name to be the heir of the family. She had a legal right in that system back then to do that. And she did, and she prevailed on Abraham to do this. Did Abraham believe God would give him an heir? Yeah, but the question is how? How's God going to do that? And of course we have this whole mess that comes out of this because of that. The whole Arab mess comes out of this little giving God a hand, and God doesn't need your hand. In fact, every time you, every time you give God a hand, he's got to clean up the mess. Usually. But in verse 16, Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. <coughs> All right, so let's get the picture. Abraham's 75, he leaves Haran, goes to Canaan. At 85 or so, you have the Hagar thing, because when he's 86, Ishmael is born, right? So Abraham's 86 years old when Ishmael's born. Why is that important? Because Abraham was declared righteous before he was 86 years old. We don't know the exact age, but the point is, somewhere in there, in fact, it's probably who he was about 85, let's say. He was about 85 when he was 15, 15 6, he was declared righteous. About 85 years old, give or take. And then chapter 17, when Abraham was 99 years old. So how much more time has elapsed now? What's, what's significant about 13 years after this? Well, no, this is after. Isaac was born when he was 100. But who's, who's 13 now? And in those days, when did... That was the age where you became, yeah, 12 years old. All right, so around that time. So God appears to Abraham now. Yeah, he appears to Abraham at 99. So Abraham, so God appeared to Abraham at 75, 86, and now 99. And we have no indication that God was showing up to Abraham in between. I mean, we're not told that. But at 99, God shows up to Abraham 
and says, uh, I'm the Lord your God. You're going to bear a son. Sarah's going to do that. And of course, what did Sarah do? She laughed. Because she was no spring chicken. She was well beyond the childbearing age. Even in those days, 99 was a little bit beyond childbearing age. She was in her 90s. Yeah, 90. Okay, so she's like 10 years Abraham's junior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You throw that in. But here's the point. Abraham was 99 when God showed up to reiterate the promise. Now I want you to stop and think about that. Pretend God shows up to you when you're 25 years old. So I'm going to make a promise to you. And you don't hear anything for 11 years. And then God shows up again and reiterates the promise. And then you don't hear anything for another 13 years. What do you think? What are you starting to think? Uh, come on. Um, Lord, I'm, come on. understand why uh, Abraham and Sarah made the decision to utilize Hagar because at some point in our waiting on what God has said to us, we might conclude that, well, yeah, I believe and trust God, but maybe what he means is he wants me to do something. Right. So what's the best corrective for that? Wait on God in the shepherd's prayer. Lord, don't let me mess this up. He said another word, which I'm not allowed to put on the tape here, all right? He said another word that, you know, were I to use that would be inappropriate, but I could quote him, I guess, but I don't want to do that. The point is, Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes there's a party. But here's the thing. If you want to do God's will and there's something you need to do, what's God going to do? He'll show you what it is, right? Because God wants you to do His will worse than you do. He's not going to hide it. He's not going to say, can I trick him into doing the wrong thing? Abraham believed God. The question is, how is God going to do this? We'll give God a hand and that never works out. God does not need your help. But the point is, think about it, there's a 24-year gap in between God's initial promise and him showing up when Abraham's 99 and another year before Isaac is born. 25 years. 25 years. All right? And, um, but here's, here's what... All of this is for a reason here. Chapter 17, verse 9. God says, And God said to Abraham, It's for you, you should keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be surely circumcised. Shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. When did God give him the covenant of, of circumcision? How old was he? Ninety-nine. When was he declared righteous? Eighty-six. What's the point? Paul's telling his readers in Romans, if you just go back and read Genesis, it's evident that Abraham was declared righteous before he was ever circumcised. 
this declaration of righteousness had nothing to do with him being circumcised. In fact, it was given to him when he was what? Uncircumcised. Don't tell me that you gotta, you know, that, that the circumcision make, means anything. It was a sign. What did God say here? It was a sign of the covenant. What's a sign? A symbol. It's a symbol. It's a sign of the covenant. In fact, when Israel came out of the Egypt, there was a place where God had all of them be circumcised because they had not done it for a long time. And God said, before you can be my people, we need to have you circumcised. And if you remember the whole Zipporah and Moses incident where he had his son circumcised, he didn't like it too well. Sensing though, he said eight days. What's eight days? Why is that? Well, medically, we're told eight days is the optimal time to do this, if you're going to do it. Eight days. And Sir Christ was born on the eighth day. What did his parents do? What did Paul say? I was circumcised the eighth day. See, to them, circumcision was a big deal. It was a sign of the covenant. But what they had done is they had taken the sign of the covenant and made it the covenant himself. <coughs> As long as I get this surgery, I'm in. And Paul is saying, no, that's not true. Because God's promise of justification, declaration of righteousness, occurred to Abraham 13 years before he was circumcised. Yes, that's the point Paul's trying to make. It has nothing to do with that. And if you go back to, to, to Romans, that, that's really the point. He's, you know, this whole little excursus here is to just explain how was it counted to him when he was circumcised or uncircumcised? The answer is when he was uncircumcised. When he was uncircumcised, it was counted to him. He received the sign of circumcision. Simeon, the word there is sign. It's, a, it's a, a symbol of circumcision. And again, we've asked this, why that? Why that particular thing? And some have suggested that possibly it's because it's a vivid reminder that in the act of procreation, what do you procreate, good or bad? You got kid kids? Sinful, sinless kids? Ah, okay, okay. No. We're kids. They're sinful. They're sinful. You produce sinful kids. I don't, I don't know. We, we, nobody knows. God can make a sign of anything he wants, and that's what he did. That was a sign. As a seal of the righteousness that he had. This is important. He received the sign of circumcision as a symbol seal of the faith which he had, what? Was going to get? Which he had already. Paul's trying to get them through their thick skulls that circumcision does not produce justification. Justification occurs apart from circumcision. Abraham already had righteousness when he was circumcised. God did not say, um, I'll tell you what, if you get circumcised, I'll give you righteousness. Because then what could circumcision be? A work. I did something. You can scrub all you want, and your life is not going to get any cleaner. It doesn't work. I was really irritated. I was doing some work on my house, and um, I was doing some caulking. I hate caulking. And I dropped some caulk on my pants. And I was really mad because they were a nice pair of pants. It's like, how... You ever notice that caulk gets everywhere where it's not supposed to be? Yes. 
I don't know how, okay, now wait a minute, I'm caulking this. How did caulk get over on the wall? You know? I mean, it's like, really, come on, you know? And I said, oh, I was really mad. I was really irritated. I probably said some words I shouldn't have said. So I said, well, I'll just, I'll just, you know, get it off of there. The harder I try to get it off, what happened? It doesn't come out. It gets worse. The harder I scrub, the worse it comes. So finally I went and got the goop or whatever it is. And that got it out. Goof off. Goof off. That's it. Oh, that's, that's a miracle, miracle thing. Finally got it off. Well, here's the point. Sin is so bad that the harder you scrub it, what happens? You just spread the mess. You know, there's some stains that you just say, okay, it's stained. That's the way it is. If I try to fix it, it ain't going to do any better. It's just going to get worse. No, this, she was not around. This was just recently when I did this, you know. Yeah. It was. I mean, it's a miracle. You know, it takes, it, it got it out of there. But, but the point is, there are some things, you can't clean yourself up. Someone says God takes you where you are, but he just doesn't leave you there. He'll move you forward. He does. He does, you know. But here's the point. This was a seal, a sign, a an emblem of the the word. There is to, it, it's a um, a mark on something. All right. Um, don't correct me. Don't quote me on this. But I think it was the same kind of word used back in Ezekiel when Ezekiel when God told two angels, "I want you to." Take an inkhorn. I want you to mark all the people that mourn for Israel. He tells the other angel, I want you to go back and kill everybody who doesn't have the mark on them. It's a mark. It's a sign. It's also the same word I think used in the mark of the beast. It's a, it's a, it's a sign. All right? But it's not produce righteousness. It doesn't make you righteous. It does nothing for that. He had while he was still uncircumcised... The righteousness which he had while he was already in the state of being uncircumcised. He was uncircumcised when he was declared righteous. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being what? There you go. Why did God do that? Why did God declare him righteous before he was circumcised? So you don't get it mixed up that you get circumcised, then you get righteousness. Because had he done it the other way around, what would the Jews have said? You got to be circumcised, then you can get, you can, then you can get righteousness. And Paul said, "No, that's not that's not what that's not the way it was." <coughs> he was declared righteous before he was circumcised, which means he is the father of all who are who are believe, whether they're circumcised or not. Righteousness would be counted to them as what? Well. Who's the them? The uncircumcised. He's really got to hit this. Because the Jews had this idea that circumcision and the, the um, possession of the law is what made them righteous before God, and Paul has to blow both of those out of the water. Abraham was justified when he was uncircumcised by faith, so that he could be the father of everybody else who believes by faith, even if they're uncircumcised. That's the point. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in what? The footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So here's what he's saying. Abraham is the father of faith to all who believe. For the uncircumcised, he is the father of them because he was uncircumcised when he was declared righteous. And for those who are circumcised, when did he get his righteousness? Before he was circumcised. The point that Paul's making is circumcision has nothing to do with you being declared righteous before God. It's a sign. Nothing more. It does not make you righteous before God. He has to get that. He has to get that through them.
your way down the top through the things. But here's the difficulty we love that teacher, that way of life, because you've been there, you've done it. I know for me personally, I have experiences like that. So we don't want to just go with what God's telling you. Yeah. You know, it's a hard thing to be challenged. And, and that's, that's one of the difficulties that the Pharisees had. They were so convinced that they were right that the possibility of them being wrong was not something they could comprehend. I started coming here in 1973, and a gentleman whose name was Al Aubram stood up on the, you know, the platform and was welcoming me. Good morning, you know. Wouldn't it be great if Christ returned today? And because of how I was raised, I thought, no, <laughs> it wouldn't. What if I did X, Y, Z, or A, B, and C? Last night, last week, sometime, haven't, re haven't repented for it. No, because I'd be bound for hell because I was raised that it was a worse thing. So it was easy. I mean, because I began to lean in and listen and drink and drink and gobble and gobble the truth of the word. Yes. And I was so excited about it that for a short period of time, I would, I, went back, I call it a mission field, I went back to the church in which I was raised to try to share this exciting news about grace, and, 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 and I was just thinking they would gobble and drink like that. <laughs> oh. yeah. uh -huh. so, like, so like one of the quintessential commercials of all time, what kind of cereal is this? Life cereal, is it any good? I don't know. Yeah, Give it to Mikey. Mikey doesn't eat anything, you know, and he's, hey, Mikey likes it, you know. But the point is, a lot of us, we don't want to be challenged. Well, that's right, too. You think about people coming to Christ from other faiths, Muslims, Jews, or whatever. Yeah, and you think of your background, I think of myself, I was raised in the church, you know, Christian Alliance, things like that. So I didn't, I just had a feeling I had to receive Christ personally. And I was, but it has to be the Holy Spirit yeah. that comes and speaks to people. Absolutely. Because I'm raised in a certain belief all my life. It's hard to be, it would be hard to change without the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, unfortunately, you know, human nature is such, we don't like to think we're wrong. Most people do not wake up at not, in the morning and say, what evil, wrong thing can I do today? They do evil things. They do evil things. Yeah. No, the point is they, they don't wake up thinking I'm going to do evil things. They do evil things, but they don't see that as evil. Right. The Pharisees, they weren't trying to be evil. They didn't say, we all want to go to hell and we're bound and determined to go there. They thought they were doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, there lies the issue with legalism. You're never going to be able to keep the law perfectly. No. No. Way. No. Yeah, and then, and then Christ comes along and ruins the whole party by saying, if you even think about it, it's like you might have done it. We can't do that. But but Denny's right. You have to be, the Holy Spirit has to open your heart. The point is, though, and that's what Paul is saying here, if you just look, it's like, oh, I'm wrong about that. But you got to look. Nicodemus looked, didn't he? 
he came and said, you know, we, we know that no one can do these things that you do unless the Lord is with him. He was, he was saying what other people weren't willing to say. They weren't willing to say, I'm wrong. You know, that's the hardest thing. I tell you what, the hardest thing for people to do is to publicly say, I was wrong about that. They, Denny, Denny and I, we, we contested. We've been here at this church long enough. I've seen people leave this church over dumb things. And you ask them, why did you leave? And I'll give you some answer. And I say, well, what, you know, you're wrong. They, they will die before they will say I was wrong. They will. I'll go down. I'm going to go down with the ship before I admit that I made a mistake. They wouldn't change. I'm going to I'm going to go down with the ship. I would rather I would rather go down with the ship than admit that I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Then he told me once that he thought he was wrong once. He was mistaken? He was wrong. Yeah. Was <laughs> yeah. Once I thought I was wrong, but I was mistaken. Um, yeah. But, but the whole idea there is that there, humanly, there's, it's, it's really hard for us to admit we're wrong. The Holy Spirit has to help us, doesn't he? Uh, Adam, what'd you do? Uh, it was her fault. Eve, what'd you do? Uh, it was the serpent's fault. Yeah. Blame an animal. Blame a hostess Twinkie. Blame a sugar high. You know, we, we live in that world where people just, they don't want to admit they're wrong. And yet, the Bible says very clearly, unless you look God in the eye and say, I'm at fault. You can't be saved. Because you're not lost. Before you can be saved, you've got to be lost, right? And if you're not willing to say, I'm at fault, you can't be saved. What did David do You know, back in Psalm 32? He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil. Wait a minute. Uriah didn't fare very well. Yeah, but comparatively speaking, the sin against God was infinitely more than any sin he could have done against any human being. That's the thing that's uh, that's beautiful to us too. Try to compare our life to other people's lives. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm better than Dan. Yeah. Well, you're both going to hell. You know? Yeah, you're both going. To, um, sadly, sadly, when I was, you know, sadly, when I was a teenager, I lived with my great aunt. You know, stayed at her house a lot. She was died in the wool Catholic, and I witnessed her on multiple occasions. And she should never understand, but I'm a good person. I do good things. You know, God is okay with me. She could not get beyond that. And to best of my knowledge, she died lost. are those who don't understand that it's not only about the bad that I do not do. It's about the good that I do not do. Yeah. It's omission and commission. Yeah. yeah. And the only way that you get an understanding of what sin is, is the Holy Spirit has to convict you. Yes. Again, the story goes of Spurgeon is witness to a young man. And young man said, way to sin. I don't hear it. Yeah, you keep talking about this weight of sin. You know, I don't feel a weight of sin. He said, well, let me go down to the morgue here and we'll put a 500-pound weight on a dead guy. And let me ask you, does he feel the 500 pounds? Well, no, he's dead. Well, you're dead in sin. You don't feel the weight of sin. That's the hardest thing for people who are good 
Right. Yeah. He has to. Yeah. Yeah. But here, but here's the you know going back to our text here, what Paul's trying to get at is that if you can set aside your preconceptions, just look at the evidence, like Nicodemus did. I know you come from God. I mean, nobody can do what you're doing except God's with him. He caught on. It's there. You're without excuse. You're without excuse. And Paul's making the point in this section here. Abraham's righteousness was credited 13 years before he was circumcised. <clears throat> Circumcision had nothing to do with it. And in fact, Abraham is a picture of all who are justified by faith, whether they are circumcised or uncircumcised. And the next part he's going to do, he's going to talk about the law. That's coming up in the next section. Four. Yeah. Yeah. And he was declared righteous 400 years before the law showed up. So, Father, thanks again for today and for being with us and helping us to understand this. And thank you, Father, that you are the one who justifies us wherever we're at. Circumcised, uncircumcised, no matter what state we're in, your grace reaches to us and takes us from there. You did not tell us that we had to get our lives together. You did not tell us we had to do certain things before you would come into our lives but you just took us as your enemies and saved us. Thank you again for this word and for this day and for the service to come in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.